0: All right, welcome again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again with us and trust that you're getting some help from these lessons that we conduct here on the Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop. This is a ministry of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church here in Danville, Kentucky. We're, we appreciate you tuning in. As always, we invite you and encourage you to get your Bible open, follow along with us in the Word of God. I'm going to be in the book of Acts this week, Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read a very, very clear uh, conversion testimony and uh, a description, a narrative of a black man from Ethiopia who gets saved because God sends a faithful servant to meet this man in the desert. And we're going to kick down a lot of the false ideas and ignorance that surrounds this thing called salvation. And uh, we'll talk about that as time allows on today's broadcast. Acts chapter 8 Let's pick it up in verse 26. And let me just say this while you're turning to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Let me just say I love this particular conversion. This is my favorite conversion story and narrative from the book of Acts. Simply because uh, it is a great place to go to show that crazy, supernatural, apostolic signs and wonders do not have to be present in order for someone to get saved. You know what the natural man loves? He loves the supernatural. He loves the curious. He loves the sensational. And as I have spoken in previous lessons on this program, one of the greatest places to break your neck spiritually in the Bible is the book of Acts. Now, when I say that, what do I mean? Well, I do not mean that the book of Acts is not inspired. No, the scripture tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. This is clearly a great book of the Bible. It's an exciting book of the Bible. But if you do not understand that it is the narrative, the historical narrative that God gave of how the early church got started, and remember, the early church had apostles. You say, well, I know apostles today. No, when you say things like that, you prove that you have not studied the word of God. Because according to Acts chapter one, an apostle had to see the resurrected Christ. And you say, well, I've seen him. No, you haven't the next time the resurrected christ appears he'll be stepping out on the cloud and calling his children home to him and we'll be caught up to meet the lord in the air so there's no special uh there's no special uh viewing of the lord today we walk by faith not by sight 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse 6 but in the beginning of the book of acts those men and the apostles that were commissioned who had apostolic ability had walked with Jesus Christ, had eaten with Jesus Christ, had heard his discourses, had touched him, had felt him physically, and they did the same thing with him after his resurrection from the dead. And if you have not seen Jesus Christ physically after his resurrection, then you cannot be an apostle. Another thing is, as I just referred to it and mentioned it, is that God gave these men, these apostles, and their direct converts the ability to do some miraculous signs and wonders because the Jews require a sign and the gospel was primarily given to the Jew in the early part of the book of Acts. Therefore, if you do not notate these things, you can go through and build a pretty wild and crazy doctrine uh, from piecemealing the different verses from the book of Acts. To appeal to whatever it is that you love. If you want baptismal regeneration, you're going to run to Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and ignore the context. If you want people only to get the Holy Ghost when you or your preacher lays hands on people, then you would run to Acts chapter 8 or Acts chapter 19. If you're in love with the miraculous and you want to prove how spiritual you are and how filled with the Spirit you are by speaking in tongues, you'll run to the book of Acts. But what's amazing is nobody begins where God begins. And that is with man's basic need. You know what man's basic need is before anything else? It's not to have his curiosity satisfied. It's not to see some miraculous vision or hear some audible voice. No, man's greatest need is to have his guilt removed off his conscience and his sinful, sin-stained life and its record cleared before the judge of the universe. And the only way for that to happen is if that man gets converted and justified and saved by grace through faith. And rather than get hung up on the wild and the miraculous, you need to simply look at this conversion and see that the common denominator in every conversion in the book of Acts is the fact that these people believed. You will often see, uh, besides uh, many times it will tell you simply this, there will be no outward manifestation of signs and miracles and wonders in many people's conversion in the book of Acts, oftentimes it'll say, and many turned unto the Lord or, and many believed. See the common denominator in all of these conversions is that people believed with their heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this particular narrative for that fact that it stays right down on the ground level where any child could follow this narrative and it shows a man getting born again no tongues are involved he's born again before he gets baptized in water there is no miraculous uh display of the spirit there's no tongues there's no healing there's no laying on of hands it is simply one servant of god giving the gospel to a man who was seeking for more light. So let's pick it up in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. The Bible says this, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Now those of you who know your Bible know that Philip was a deacon. He had been chosen by the multitude there in Acts chapter 6. He was a good man, a godly man and a gifted man and filled with the spirit of God. And he had gone down because of the persecution against Stephen that arose in Jerusalem. He, along with the other believers besides the apostles, had left Jerusalem and had been scattered abroad. And they went everywhere preaching the word and giving out the gospel. And he was the key player in a big revival that takes place in the first half of Acts chapter 8 down in a city called Samaria with the Samaritans. But in the middle of that revival, God gets concerned, or God sees a man, a lone sinner, a black man from Ethiopia who is seeking more light, and he sends a man to bring more light and bring the truth of the gospel to his heart. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we begin with, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot." And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken From the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And so here we have a narrative of an amazing A conversion, but a simple conversion. What I love about this narrative is the simplicity of it. And uh, let's just take a few minutes to examine this closer and see if we can't get a blessing out of this rich, rich passage of scripture. First of all, I want you to see three things in this passage. Number one, in this passage, I want you to see, first of all, a lost church goer. Now, why do I point that out? Because We have many people in America who think that their attachment to a particular church somehow sets them right before God. Somehow they equate their faithfulness to a church or their connection to a church as being pleasing in God's sight, that somehow when they die, God will look over their files and say, Oh, hey, you were a part of this church. Why, come right on in. I'm glad you were a good Presbyterian. I'm glad you were a faithful Baptist. I'm glad you joined the Roman Catholic Church. Listen, I fear, even within the the ranks, my own ranks of independent Baptist, I fear that our churches are loaded with people who are what the community, what you and I would call good people in the sense of they are moral, they are upright, and they are church-going people, but yet they have never experienced a heart collision with Jesus Christ, and therefore they are still unsaved, having never been born again. And when they die... Your moral, kind, nice, church-going neighbor who has never come to faith in Jesus Christ will die and stand in the filthy rags of their own self-righteousness condemned at the coming judgment. Oh, ask yourself this. I am not asking, are you a faithful church member? Ask yourself if you're any better off than this man that I'm about to describe. He's a lost churchgoer. How do I know that? Well, because he's never accepted, he's never embraced the gospel, he's never received the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the Bible tells us in this passage that God sends his servant, Philip, to this man who was in the desert, who, uh, he sent him to this man, this Ethiopian, who was a eunuch of great authority, verse 27, Are you looking in your Bible? Acts 8, verse 27. Who was under uh, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, has been to Jerusalem to do what? For to worship. He knew the right city to go to. Jerusalem is the place where men went to worship the God of the Hebrew. That's the God of creation. The Hebrews God, the one that brought, uh, Israel out of Egyptian bondage with all of those miraculous signs and wonders and the God who over, uh, d- oversaw that nation all those years and gave them the law of God and gave them that light, uh, and they were that light set on a hill. Listen, this man knew to go to the city of the great king. He had been to Jerusalem for to worship. So this man is not an atheist. And he believes in going to church. He had been to Jerusalem for to worship. And listen, this man is uh, not just a, a, a God-fearing man. He believes in God, but he's unsaved. He goes to the right city and hooks up with the right people, but he's unsaved. This man is an educated man. You say, how do you know? He is reading the prophet Isaiah. He's reading. He had had an education. He knew how to read, and obviously, he could handle mathematics okay because he's an educated man because Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, had put him in charge of all of her treasure. So you're not going to put somebody in charge of your treasure, your bank account, who can't keep books. This man is educated, but education never saved anybody. In fact, sometimes education becomes a great hindrance because I've met people who uh, who I've heard the old-timers call educated idiots. Oh, they have a diploma, but they have no common sense. And uh, when it comes to the things in life, the most important things in life, they're clueless. I was teasing recently, I've got nieces and nephews who are educated. They've been to college. They have their degree. They have a diploma. But I told them one time here recently, we were, we were watching a rerun of that old movie. It's 80 years old, called The Wizard of Oz. Have you ever considered something, the old scarecrow who wanted a brain, and that's the whole movie, that's all he wanted was a brain. Do you ever do you ever consider that when he finally got in to see the wizard, that sucker never did get a brain, but it, they did give him a diploma. And I think that's been the pattern in America for a long time. Amen and amen. Education, hey, you say, well, there you go, preaching against education. No, I'm not preaching against education. I think you ought to get every bit of it that you can get if it will help you down the road uh, where God wants you to go help yourself. But just remember this, you will never be so educated that you can sit in judgment or mock the word of God. The problem with our public education system in America, both at the local and the national level, is the fact that they've long ago thrown God and the Bible out as a myth. They look at this book as a bunch of fables for weak, need people and ignorant hillbillies in East Kentucky and Western Virginia. And listen to me, friend. Education's wonderful, but you better submit it and yield it to the power and the wisdom of God, because the the wisdom of God is wiser. Amen. Or the foolishness of God is wiser than the the wisdom of man. You better get that down. Education many times becomes a great stumbling block. I'm all I'm thank God for medical advancements. I thank God for scientific advancements, but I'll tell you what when they begin to try to give an opinion about theological things, they're a, a massive zero because the moment a man quits believing this Bible, he has just crippled himself too high for crutches. Amen and amen. Education's fine, but it better be in submission to the perfect and pure words of God, and it better not make fun of the gospel. Amen. So this man's educated. Uh, this man is not an atheist. This man has been to church to worship. This man is obviously a moral man and an upright character because he had the charge of the queen's treasures. You're not going to put a crook or a thief in charge of your money. Not only do you want someone who's educated, but you want somebody that's trustworthy. This man obviously had the trust of many people and it also says he was a man of great authority. This man knew what it was to be respected in his community. He was probably a greatly respected man due to his position of taking care of the queen's treasure. So this man is respected, this man is educated, this man is is a moral and a trusted man, this man is upright, this man is a Bible reading man. And he was not an atheist, he was a God-fearing man, and he had been to Jerusalem for to worship. And he is returning, and listen, this man is a prudent man. He is a man we could describe as one who is redeeming the time. What's he doing on his way back, his 200-mile journey from Jerusalem back into Ethiopia? What does the Bible find him doing? We find him reading the Word of God. Oh, would to God that the people who attend our services would pick up the Word of God and read it on the way home. I mean, I'm telling you, this guy puts me to shame. And, uh, this guy brings, this lost man, this lost black man from Ethiopia puts me under conviction. Why? Because he's redeeming the time. He's already been to worship. Uh, most people would have been like, oh, you can put that Bible up. We've already been to church. Uh, I know a lot of old Baptists who leave their Bibles sometimes in the pew and, uh, and leave it there until next Sunday. You know anybody like that? Amen. And, uh, they don't read during the week. This man, Uh, Had been to Jerusalem for to worship and now he's returning home, but he couldn't get enough when he was there. So he opens his Bible on the way home and he is reading it, not just to himself, but he's reading it out loud so his chariot driver and everybody with him can hear him reading. Hey, what am I saying? I'm saying that this man is a good man, but he's a lost man. Let that sink down. When I say he's a good man, I'm talking about From a human perspective, I live in a neighborhood where I've got a lot of, quote, good neighbors, a lot of good people that live in my uh, neighborhood. But I'm going to tell you, not all of those good neighbors are good Christians who've been born again. You say, why not? If you've never been saved, you've never been born again, it's because you have failed to see yourself as a vile sinner, Facing the judgment of God, you've never seen that. Too many people are satisfied with the general statement of, well, you know, I mean, I'm not a perfect preacher, but I mean, I'm a good person at heart. You know what the Bible says about you? It says this about all humanity. It says most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But can I tell you something that your goodness and your good deeds and your Church going, your moral uprightness, your kindness, your help in the community, your reputation, your education, your respectability will count for nothing at the coming judgment. I want you to, for just a moment, consider what will you do when you go before God in judgment. The Bible says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. Another place says that God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Hey, my friend who says, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. Have you ever considered that God's going to judge you for every outer word that you've ever spoken? For every thought that you've ever had, for every intention that you harbored, for every secret thing. God will bring those secret things at the great white throne judgment. He'll bring those things to light because he's going to... Uh, justify his condemnation of you by showing that you truly are just what he said, always said that you were, and that is a great sinner. And Christ came to save sinners. He died for the ungodly. But you don't really believe that because you've never fled to Jesus Christ. You know why you don't? Because you don't think you're that bad. But let me remind you what Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 64, 6. If you're trusting your own goodness, just remember this. That all of our righteousness is. That's the good things we do. That's not the sins. That's not the secret sins or the secret thoughts or the imaginations of the heart. All of our righteousness is are as filthy rags. And if you are trusting your own goodness or your faithfulness to church to get you to heaven, you are still lost. And in that day, you'll hear God say, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Please, please listen to me. Don't let that happen. Don't be one who dies in your sins because, after all, you thought you were pretty good. No, look look with me in the Word of God. This man is as good a man as you'd ever meet, this Ethiopian eunuch, and yet he desperately needed the gospel. Now, here's another thing that's wonderful we can pick up from this passage. Notice verse 29 and 30. It says, Then the Spirit said unto Philip. Now, Philip is the other player in this great drama that's unfolding. Philip was a deacon as I mentioned earlier, a good man. They picked him in Acts chapter 6. He was a good man, a gifted man, and a godly man. But you know what's wonderful about him? We see, first of all, the lost church goer in the Ethiopian eunuch who needed the gospel. But then we see the listening servant whom we call Philip. Look what it says. The spirit said unto Philip, verse 29, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran. Philip obeyed, The impressions of the Spirit of God. And let me just say this. We as Christians need to cultivate and develop a walk with the Lord and to walk in agreement with Him. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now listen. The Bible says, Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you walk in the Spirit? What does that mean? Well, every born-again believer, every Christian, true Christian that's listening to this broadcast, the Bible says you have the Spirit of God. You were given the Spirit of God when you believed. Ephesians chapter 1. You can grieve the Spirit of God or you can obey the Spirit of God. And the way to walk in the Spirit is Amos 3-3, God speaking to His own people in the Old Testament. He said, can two walk together except they be agreed? You must agree with what God says. That's the only way to walk in the Spirit. And listen, when you walk in the Spirit, He will impress upon your heart things to do. Now, this is a dangerous subject because obviously we have the fanatics that grab a hold of the idea. Well, the Holy Ghost just spoke to me. The Holy Ghost told me God uh, gets blamed. The Spirit of God gets blamed for a lot of religious foolishness. Let me just be quick to point out whatever the Spirit of God impresses upon your heart will line up with uh, the Word of God. And it will line up with what the Bible parameters are concerning church services and and serving the Lord. Right here, the Spirit of God is impressing upon Philip's heart to go and join himself to a man in the desert who needs the gospel. Do you know what the Spirit of God is concerned with? He's concerned with lifting up and raising up Jesus Christ before men. When the Comforter has come, the Bible says, whom Jesus said, I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me. The spirit of God wants to lift up and will lift up Jesus Christ. And so when you feel the need to hand out a gospel track, when you feel that impression pass through your mind, speak to this person, speak a kind word, write a letter to this person. Those are the, what we call the old timers called the promptings of the spirit, And listen, it's not an audible voice we're listening for. It's those impressions about ministering to others that most often you can almost guarantee come from the Spirit of God. And right here, this man was within listening distance. He was close enough to God to hear instructions And the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And the Bible says Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And you know, many times if you'll just obey those promptings in your heart to minister the word of God to others, God will kick open the doors of opportunity. Uh, Paul spoke of those doors that were open. There were many adversaries, but he says there is a door uh Opened unto us And we often refer to it as doors of opportunity Can I tell you something The Spirit of God will lead you to the right places And make opportunities for you to minister the gospel If we'll just be within listening distance And you say well how do I know if it's the Spirit of God Well if you feel the impression in your mind It comes to your mind to give out a gospel track When you're standing at the gas station And there's somebody on the other side of the island Let me ask you this Do you think it's the devil that's leading you to hand out a gospel track or do you suppose it's the sweet Holy Spirit of God in your heart saying, there's somebody that could use a good word of encouragement. There's somebody you might be able to speak up uh, to. And listen, if you'll do that, it's amazing how uh, vibrant and how cracking with life the Christian life really can be. Amen and amen. Why not ask God to lead you to somebody that you can witness to? That's a prayer that gets am- answered quite often because that's a prayer that is right and uh, in the will of God, if you will. That's right in line with his will. And he always answers those requests and those prayers that are in line with his will. Here is a listening servant that was able to listen to the Spirit of God that told him to go join himself. When he did, he got over to that chariot and he heard the old lost church goer, this upright moral man, this Ethiopian eunuch, reading the Bible out loud. And lo and behold, in the providence of our great God, our sovereign God, He is reading in Isaiah 53, which, of course, every uh, person ought to know something about. That's the great prophecy, one of the most detailed prophecies of the sufferings of our dear Savior. So I want you to see not only the lost churchgoer and the listening servant of God, but then I want you to see the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. Notice in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. And by the way, if you're going to witness for Jesus Christ, Lifestyle evangelism is a great way to back up your witness, but it's no way to give your witness. A lot of people talk about, well, I just live it and people will see it in me. Well, I got news for you. That's not how a good witness uh, testifies. In fact, a witness is no good if they will not testify. A witness is someone who is an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We've been given orders to go into all the world and preach the gospel We are ambassadors, therefore, we must open our mouths. Uh, What ambassador do you know that doesn't have a message from his country? And our country that we're going to has given us the message, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you're going to have to open your mouth and tell the old, old story. The Bible says Philip opened his mouth, and he began at the same scripture, and he preached unto him Jesus And I'm telling you, that's the most important name. That's the name that's above every name. That's the name of which every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Amen. That's the name that there is neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What does he preach unto him? He preached how that Jesus Christ suffered and died for this Ethiopian eunuch, how he went down under the wrath of God and was baptized with suffering and wrath when he died and bled on the cross and satisfied the wrath of God and met the demands of a holy law and sacrificed himself and in due time Christ Jesus died for the ungodly and was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. That's the message that the Ethiopian eunuch received that day. And when he asked, well, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip answered him and said, verse 37, if thou believest with all thine heart. Isaiah 53 started off with a question. It says, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord in that passage is none other than the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Have you believed the report? Then the report is this, that Christ died for you and he was buried and he rose from the dead in order to secure your justification. Have you heard that report? Have you believed that report with your heart? In other words, Jesus is all that you need. Have you ever cast all of your hope upon him and trusted him and him alone for your salvation? That Bible still says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And the old Philippian, I'm sorry, the old Ethiopian eunuch answered and said to that question, if he believed with all of his heart, he stood there and before him and all of his servants, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And upon his profession of faith, he was baptized in water, but he was saved the moment he believed. May God help you to trust Jesus Christ as your own Savior today. May God help you to see it and may you trust Him and be saved. Until next week, May God bless you.